0: Here we go on the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow on the Gonzaga Nation Media Network. The basketball world is a small world in regards to people knowing each other, supporting each other. Um, And I've got connected on social media through our guest today, Coach Brian Burton, through another one of my friends in the coaching world turned analyst, Chris Walker. But uh, our guest today, Brian Burton, uh, is a tremendous coach turned analyst. So Brian, thanks for joining.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. this. is a, It's kind of one of those uh, surreal moments. Obviously, you when you're a player, you have certain benchmarks. It's like, okay, maybe I've maybe I'm getting to a certain place. But for somebody that I watched as a player, and even to see I watched your interview with Chris Walker, and then to know that I'm interviewing with you now is a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. So
0: I'm humbled and honored and excited to do it. Well, again, it goes back to the basketball world being uh, so small and connected and, and supportive of coaches and analysts and players Uh, it's a pretty unique kind of ecosystem to live in but let's go back to your initial love of the game of basketball Um, how did it occur was it a was it a was it a friend was it a a older brother or a dad how did you fall in love with the game
1: great question so I think most of us kind of start in soccer we just kick a ball around and that's kind of how you get introduced Uh, basketball wasn't a big deal in my family at that point when I was young I didn't grow up uh, I didn't grow up in Michigan, so I grew up watching the Pistons. Uh, definitely was that was a big part of it. Bad Boy Pistons, they were winning championships at that time.
0: Uh but I gotta man. stop you there. So if <laughs> you were the Bad Boy Pistons, I was grow I grew up in the Portland area. So okay. those Bad Boy Pistons teams were like my nemesis because I was a Drexler, Porter, Jerome yeah. Kersey fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, that
0: makes sense. Yeah, it was a, it was
1: hard not to uh, get behind that bad boys pistons era at that time. And naturally Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas were Uh, Just so entertaining to watch. Um, So, yeah, I loved that time period, and that was a cool kind of like my – what I remember watching basketball was starting there. Uh, My mom went to Michigan. My dad went to Michigan State, so it was a house divided. So I definitely grew up uh, initially loving Michigan basketball more than Michigan State. And then as Izzo, his era kind of came and kind of loved that too. But, um, yeah, I was one of those guys – fifth grade is the first time I actually played basketball organized – And it was like I was probably never going back to soccer again after that because I just had a love for it instantly. And then uh, I was definitely one of those guys that loved playing at the park. We had a park in our neighborhood. I was there all the time with the old men playing on Saturday mornings, uh, which guys don't do that anymore. That's not a thing. Uh, And then it was always at the YMCA finding pickup games and just had a love for it. And then that that love kind of stays with you all the way through your playing career and then now kind of. Just being a gym rat and still being around the game, just it never it never quite leaves me for whatever reason.
0: So how did you go from player to coach? Because I I spent one year coaching uh, with the Blazers as an assistant player development coach. I thought that was the path I was going to go down before I really kind of got into the broadcast world. But um, it's a hard switch to flip going from thinking like a player to then thinking like a coach. What was that transition like for you?
1: Yeah, so it was a little bit easier, a little bit more natural probably. So my first team I ever coached was in fifth grade. My I, I was in ninth grade. I was a freshman, and my brother was in sixth grade. And I kept watching going to his games and supporting, and his dads were coaching them, and, like, they were struggling. So I just said, hey, if you ever – I would love to coach them if you want. And we lost our first game. i never forget it. We won every one. we had ten games. We lost our first one. We won nine straight. And there was one kid – That was really talented, but he was hard to deal with. But I think some of it was natural, like the point guard in me. And I wasn't as much of a score first point guard or even a scoring point guard. I could when I needed to. But a lot of it was based on getting the best out of your teammates. So I think just thinking like a point guard, if this is my team. uh, And then when I transitioned, so basically when I was done playing, I actually started an AU program. So in the summer, for me, when I went back to, so I went to school in Dallas a school called Plano East, home of Jimmy King, uh, back in the day. So um, I would go back, and right when I graduated, I coached a camp. And when I coached that camp, my head coach, who was really difficult to play for, all of a sudden was like, treated me totally different. And he gave me my own group to just like, hey, you have your own group. So long story short, I think it started there. And every summer when I was at school, he said, hey, if you want to come back and coach the team, in the summer, so I would coach the high school team. When well, there was two elite players on the team at that time, and they didn't have a summer program, and I didn't have a great summer experience when I played AU. Uh, we traveled and did all of it, but it was a lot of it was was left to be desired, I think, and even a little bit for my coaching career. So uh, the coaching part of it was almost like what I wished I would have had. I think a lot of that lens was the uh, motivation was from there, and then uh, after that, really just like trying to figure out how to get the best out of players just unlock that part um and I've always probably found joy in it, and still do to be honest even though I'm not coaching in college I still do a ton of individual stuff or camp stuff and just love to be able to kind of see a player is here or he sees himself here you see him there and you're trying to get them to unlock that stuff
0: inside of them that gets them to the next level we got an, uh, another kind of connection because I lived in Plano for a short bit when I was with the Mavericks. Uh, How about that? It was uh, I was west of the tollway, about three four minutes, where okay. we, we rented a house. Great area. Uh, I didn't realize Jimmy King, another Michigan connection for you, is from that yep. area. So I can only imagine he was a legend back in the day. No doubt. It was a, it was a cool
1: thing to be able to go to high school where and it was Mr. Basketball in the state of Texas. I didn't realize when I was watching them. And he was from Texas. So when my dad, we talked about schools to go to, and I heard that about playing East, I was like, well, we're going here. So when Jimmy <laughs> went, like, we're going there. I was probably more of a Jalen, Juwan, and Chris fan, like everybody. But, you know, you you respected Ray
0: Jackson and, and um, Jimmy King
1: just as much.
0: So let's say well, on, the, on the topic of kind of AAU and high school basketball, I, I right. think, uh, unfortunately – um there's too much focus and emphasis on aau and now there's a ton of great aau programs right but there's a ton that people are just kind of running kids through without the focus of skill development development of understanding of the game of how to win but then also character development versus your high school group which if you have a great high school experience that coach is going to promote you and help you get to the next level. Um, And I I hate to be negative towards one or the other, but uh, there's a place for both. Give me your thoughts on what the proper placing of both of those should be in a kid's kind of basketball career. Yeah, no, this is great.
1: Uh, So I'll say my background started in AU and grassroots, excuse me, grassroots and JUCO. So I got to see kind of the both places that you recruit from when you get to the next level. So being able to see both of those probably gives me a different perspective too, because junior college is a very undervalued place in uh, college athletics. But man, it's, it's, it's definitely a balance. So the hard part about AAU is that is the means to get to where you want to go. So it's become more big business because ultimately high school, co- excuse me, college coaches don't recruit through high school as much because that's not where you're going to get to see an EYBL level player play against another EYBL level player, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So all of it's become so uh, business and evaluation based of seeing how do you compare against the best so I know how good you are. And now they're keeping stats and the whole nine. So it's evolved a lot, AU has. So the part part that's hard for AU is like that's the means to get where you want to go, right? That's the barometer. That's the place that you're going to play in. But you do sacrifice a lot of times development because AU programs, they have that certain ticket. They're trying to recruit just like college. It becomes business way more than people know. Right. Yeah. We won't get into all of that. But so it's what are you going to sacrifice if you're running that organization? Are you going to make sure you have the talent so you can have the continue to have your EYBL or your whatever it may be, your program, your funding? Um, or are you going to just make sure you have the best talent and just go showcase it? So. It's a super fine line. I think high schools are becoming more too, where kids are leaving the good ones to play at bigger schools or play on um, more circuits, even in the high school scene. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of kids coming out with graphics that I'm changing to this school, right? (laughs) I'm going to this school. Instead of uh, waiting till they get to college, it's becoming a part of the culture. So I think it's just a hard line as a coach. It still should be about development. And if you, I think the biggest thing for me, and I just had this conversation recently on a different podcast of like your ability to connect with young people and their parents and their circle is as important as anything. And you have to really stick to your guns as far as this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and then follow through. But you have to stay connected. If you don't have connection and you're just trying to do these transactions, eventually it's not going to benefit the kid or your organization for very long anyway, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much truth to, to what you just spoke about there and, and how a lot of those AAU programs kind of, I don't want to say work the system, but are involved in the system. Um, right. You know,
1: It's you hard spend... to, just to jump in on you real quick, it's hard to spend the time on development when you know you're trying to make sure it can be hard if that's not a core priority to you. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're selling a dream. And it's a lot like college. So kids get to learn co- recruiting before they get to college. And that's what people don't understand. That's a good to, point. They, they get to get a glimpse of it. So the good ones, in my opinion, and, and I used to use this a lot in recruiting, is like you can speak to a kid's experience that he's been recruited or he's played a small role or a big role or, hey, you had to change teams. This is what you're going to do. here. You can kind of speak to the, those scars and those wounds and say, hey, we're actually going to follow through on this. And this is our body of work. So – it's kind of a – it's a gift and a curse, right? But some of those kids that haven't ever been – and, and Monty Bates is probably a tough one to just – I'm not trying to attack him. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to keep a kid like that accountable for development when it's all about chasing that next yeah. benchmark, right, to, to say you're the next whatever. And then you get to college and it's like, well, wait a minute. I've never had to stay in the stance, and I've never had to be this kind of a teammate and I've never – And then next thing you know, so I think it will work out for a guy like that in the end. But he really wasn't set up to be successful from the beginning. Essentially, anyway, a lot of guys are like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, Thankfully, I was always an under the radar guy that had to kind of scratch and claw each level. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be like at like for him, 14, 15 years old. I think 15, he was kind of pronounced hey, this is the next LeBron, that, that's hard for anybody oh, uh, to live up to those pressures and those expectations. Uh, you spent a number of time at, at different levels as a coach at the college ranks, Ju- JUCO, some D2, you've been involved with a number of Division I programs. I don't think people understand just how good Division II programs can be. I don't yeah. think a lot of people understand just how good Certain JUCOs are now. I don't want to place a blanket over all JUCOs, but um, there are some JUCOs that are high level. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, the kid may not have gotten their grades right, or something might have gone wrong in their high school career where they've got to prove it and earn it there to get a bigger opportunity and, and chance for themselves. What, what's what's maybe a couple things at those other levels that stand out to you? Yeah, I think so. For JUCO, it's definitely the purity of the level, right? There's no
1: politics. There's no um, hidden agendas. There's no, hey, you were a five-star. The media wants you to be th-. There's none of that. You know, there's no my guy, his guy on the staff. There's two coaches on the staff, you know what I mean, most of the time. So there's it's, it's probably the purest level of basketball because all that other stuff is out of the way. It almost feels like no one cares, but you just got to show up and earn it and go produce. So you see guys like Jay Crowder who starts for – Phoenix is the number one seed. Then you have on the flip side, Jimmy Butler, who's playing as great as anybody and had an enormous performance just last night uh, and very well could be the MVP of the NBA championship team. Who knows? But he played one year junior college, wasn't recruited, uh, played in Texas at Tyler junior college. So I think there's just this mentality of almost like having to get it out the mud, uh, kind of having to do more with less, not worrying about, um, who's supposed to be what star or whatever it is a chip that gets built on your shoulder but then you have to go out and go do it because no one's even thinking about you're you not even on a radar so uh, and I think you kind of it comes it as a coach and as a player I think it stays with you when you go to the next level you see a ton of division one high major coaches now that have junior college ranks uh in their background whether it's uh, Chris Jans, who just got a job. Uh, Steve Forbes, those guys were Northwest Florida and Chipola guys. Greg Heyer just won a national championship in junior college and got New Mexico state. Uh, Grant McCaslin at UNT's had a North Texas, had a great run. Chris Beard, Dana Altman. Uh, you can just go down the line. Like if you look at people's history, they have a bit of that. And there's something about junior college coaches that you had the trenches, you had to mop the floors, you had to do the laundry, you had to do, all these different tasks cause you didn't have all these different people on your staff that you're spoiled with. And I think there's a part of that grit and that uh, just that kind of underdog that stays with you. So, and then D2 is similar. I think you see a lot more guys transferring up now, and even in the portal, mm-hmm. you see guys going from D2, like there's some NAIA guys from the national championship team. One's going to Marquette. One's going to Ole Miss. One's going to Texas state. Um and I just think there's an underappreciation for that level because people think like, well, you're not Division One, so that means you're not good. Well, you look at Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, two of the best players to ever do it, they play Division Two. You know, Charles Oakley, there's a ton of Ben Wallace, you go down the line, there's a ton of them, but even in the finals now, Duncan Robinson played Division Three.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, so there's I think the cool part about the transfer portal now, which we haven't talked about, which is a huge thing in college basketball, obviously, but it doesn't matter now. If you're productive and people can see you're really good, it's almost like playing the G League or playing overseas. Like Luca Dante is one of the best players. Where well, he didn't come up and play in college, he didn't do the traditional way. But when you're doing it against grown men like Luca's done it, and when you're doing it in Division Two against older guys, uh, I think it just proves that if you put him in a situation where he's playing against other good players, Hoopers are gonna hoop. You know what I mean? When you put him yeah. in that position, they're gonna hoop. So. As a former Hooper yourself, I think you can relate to that. You know, you're on a program at Washington where you're talented enough to be there, but for whatever reason, it wasn't happening. Well, then you transfer to Gonzaga, next thing you know, like, well, where'd this guy come from? Well, he's always been a Hooper. It's just kind of like he needed to put himself in that position where he had the platform to do it.
0: Yeah, and it's got to be a great fit. And right. staying on the transfer portal, I don't like to be too – critical of players because I believe NIL is right. I think college players should get paid. I think it's going to take a couple of years to flush out what a true value system that makes sense long-term will be. Right. Um, I, I think we're, we're going to see some ebbs and flows with that. But as far as the transfer portal, I, I found, there was a great article on SI.com. Jason Jordan wrote it. I think it came out yesterday about one player in particular is in the portal thinking something was going to be better on the outside, he went out, there was nothing there. He ended up having to walk on at the school he was previously at and he earned his scholar, he earned a scholarship back halfway through the season. What are some of the things from a coach's perspective, maybe that kids are missing before they put their name in the transfer portal that can kind of become a, an issue for them finding a place? Yeah, that's a huge question. And actually having this
1: conversation consistently with players parents uh coaches because you're still connected to the game enough so i think it starts with like where's your point of leverage in a market almost and so if like you're a free agent in the nba and you didn't have very good numbers the year before and now you're a free agent it's probably going to be hard right you may have to take a your value isn't there in the market but if you're Um, I'm trying to think of somebody Antoine Davis or Kendrick Davis who put up these godly numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah, your, your, your leverage is going to be different because there's going to be a market that says you have value there. Right. So I think that's probably the hardest part. It's almost like grass is greener. Like, Oh, my situation isn't going how I want you guys don't think this or that I should be doing this. I'm out. And it's not that easy, you know? And I think even, and I don't know what your case situation was, but If you don't even almost have some relationships with people that recruited you before, and let's just be honest, there are third party communications, whether it's supposed to happen that way or not, but you can reach (laughs) out to your AU coach like, hey, let's be honest, like, do I actually have some, a chance to go somewhere or am I just doing this because of emotion and because I think I should be, so I think there's got to be more steps to just not just jumping in there on a knee jerk reaction and actually understanding, like, is there somebody that has value for me? Like, there's a kid, uh, Mount West, I won't say his name, but he played at a high major, He did, or he was at a high major. He didn't play, but the school that recruited him at a high school, he was able to reach back out through his AU coach and say, hey, would they have interest if I get into the portal? Well, his was at the semester. Well, he went into the portal. He went straight to that school. It wasn't a process. It was pretty much done. They knew what they were getting. He knew what he was getting. That staff was at a different place, but it made sense. Well, if you're not checking that and you jump in and that school doesn't want you, well, that yeah. kid is out there hanging out and hoping for something. He may be at home in junior college for a semester, you know? So I think there's, there's way more that goes into it than people think. And I think somebody said this, Dad modest said this the other day on an the interview. There's like a thousand people were in the portal at that time. 500 or more were averaged like less than five points per game. Well, what's the market for that? You know, unless you have that relationship and somebody knows that you can actually play and maybe you just got stockpiled in a numbers game, hard to be able to create value when somebody's like, well, you're averaging five and you left there or three and what do you think you're going to come do here? that's the part where people probably aren't as educated and players and families are as much as you wish they were. It just looks like the cool thing to do. I'm going to the portal. I'm going to make a post say, thanks for everything. And next thing you know, I don't have a school.
0: That's some great insight. Uh, really good insight there. want to ask you now about uh, your transition from coaching into an analyst role. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I enjoy about it is when the game's over, I don't have to break down the film I might have to answer a tweet or something if if I mispronounced uh, a player's last name, which you and I, hopefully we do our homework and we get it right before the game. So there's no issues. Um, But what's that transition been like for you and how are you enjoying it?
1: Yeah, I'll say this first, too. So I saw you do the game and I think you did do some of our games when I was in the West, but at Fresno State. But I saw you do the game against I want to say it was Boise State,
0: Colorado State. Was that the game? Uh, I had Boise State and San Diego State this year. I may have had Colorado State. No, that's the game. So I saw that
1: that game, watched you do it. I think I may have reached out to you for the first time afterwards. Like, super impressive. So it's cool to see a guy who used to play take so much time in their craft. So part of how I was interested in it, to be honest, after I got done, was when I was doing it, especially on the ESPN Plus level and your mid-major just you're at this underappreciated level anyway, right? People don't value how hard you have to work. They don't value how much it took to get a player that's on your roster, whatever it may be. So you would see these guys and they're talking about your game and you're watching it again, like doing your film study and breakdown. And like, they don't even know about your team. They don't know about your team. They've never been to a practice or a shoot around. They've never called. So it just used to frustrate me that it's like these guys are controlling our narrative and telling our story, but they don't even know anything about us. And they're not even giving us, you don't have to rave about us, but at least give us the respect that's due, you know, and especially for the head coach. So I think that always kind of stuck with me. And it's like, it was like a thorn in my side of like, how do these guys get these positions anyway? You know? Um, And then as it evolved, I kind of took a year where I was like, you know what? So, my wife is a former college head coach. She's a volleyball division two volleyball head coach at two different places. She played division one softball and volleyball at Colgate. And is about to be in the hall of fame there. So she's the wow. real stud in the family, <laughs> uh, two sport athletes. So uh, she stepped away from coaching to do the family thing with me. I was fortunate. I I never wanted to ask her to do that, but she chose to. So I was like, all right, I may have a real, a real champion here. So. Uh, and then when we moved to Colorado during the pandemic, we were kind of in a catch 22. Like, well, do I go back? I was kind of thinking I'll sit out a year and just kind of like let our family. We lived in seven different places in our first three years of marriage. So it was like time to be settled for yeah. at least a second. And we were just doing a long distance. And so we find out. Uh, so my wife's pregnant. We're 11 weeks into pregnancy. And the quick story is we found out that our daughter was, had a 90% chance to have special needs. Well, we had to make this hard decision of, are you going to continue pregnancy or not? 85% of people do not, not a judgment on them at all. We chose to take a leap of faith and say, if God has this plan for us, he does. And I had some great friends like Alvin Brooks III, who's at um, Baylor, who has two sons who have autism, who I picked up the phone and asked, like, what is this really like? Like, help me out. And he was tremendous. If anybody knows him, he's one of the best humans on the planet, won a national championship there Baylor. Um, and won two in junior college and so our daughter has special needs she has down syndrome and she's downright perfect for our family she's the secret weapon and she's the best and when when my wife got the call we were driving together from indiana to move my car back to colorado and she's balling she, we're pulled over and one of the biggest points of like encouragement of letting her know like she wasn't alone is like if I have to leave college basketball, I will for our family to make all this work. So don't think that's the thing. And that wasn't that I had to do it because I still could go back and my wife would be. But I think God shifted our focus more then. So it started there. And then we're at the pandemic. We're at home. So I'm just blowing people up like, well, I got some time. I'm at home. Uh, I'm on unemployment. I'm living in our, our in-laws basement. And. I hit up everybody I could, Colorado, Colorado State, everybody locally around. I live in Colorado now, Northern Colorado. So, and I coached in the Mountain West. I'm like, man, that would be great. Well, long story short, a year later from all those phone calls, uh, I connect with UNC, um, excuse me, Northern Colorado, and they are now going ESPN Plus. So, it would have been radio, but they wouldn't let more people do it because of the mask and all that. So it turns out I knew the coach had recruited his players when he was in Juco. He's like, man, if you're trying to do that, like I'll help you, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, like, really? So next thing you know, he helps me get connected to AD. Uh, I started there um, and I actually volunteered the year before for my younger brother. He's a D2 head coach. So I did a couple games at Christmas break. I had to, I showed them that film. So I had film. That's a big thing. It's like, if you don't have film, how do we know you're going to be able to do this? Well, how can I do it if I never have any film? So I did four games for free. Uh, I volunteered to do it. At UNC. I just said, I don't care if I get paid. Just, I want to do it. Like, give me a shot. And so it, it was on ESPN plus. So I did that. And then half, probably halfway through the season, I got a call from uh, Wyoming and kind of that Colorado state connection. Both of those uh, Colorado state was so good. They were on CBS and everything. So that didn't make sense. Uh, and then Wyoming did. And it just so happened. I knew the guys on the staff and, Uh, So the transition was kind of by accident, just trying to do it. And then next thing you know, volunteering, kind of like, you know, you have to do in coaching, Mm -hmm. like I'll do it for free. I just want to do it. And then opportunity, you do a good job with one, it leads to another. And it's funny because it was Wyoming. I could have done a men's game and I couldn't do it. because we had some family obligations. I'm like, let me stay true to the family obligation. And then I circle back and I I apply to go do the, uh, fill out the, requests and I do all men's games He's like, well, let's have you do women's games first. I'm like, no problem. I'll do it. And then next thing, you know, a month later, uh, I ended up getting to do a rescheduled game for uh, San Jose state it was like the next day. And then reschedule of Boise and Wyoming because of COVID. And it was, they were both in first place at the time. And Wyoming was pretty close to, if they keep playing this way, they're going to be ranked. And I call the guy and I'm like, Hey, this game is on a Monday or whatever it is. Like, you think we're going to get that game? And he's like, well, if CBS or whatever did not pick it up, like you got the game. I was like, it was like a surreal moment. Cause it's like, wait a minute. I just had to do all this stuff to even get here. And then from there, the next month I asked him, you know, you put in a request again. He's like, I don't know what you requested, but you got all of what you requested. So super cool. Like a, for first year to be way out of your comfort zone, doing something different to be able to have that much success so way long-winded answer but that's kind of how i got in and yeah it's been an amazing ride and looking forward to more
0: well it sounds like the grinding that you had as a coach is going to start paying off as a broadcaster i i appreciate and enjoy those type of stories i also uh appreciate the faith that you had in, in sharing about your family because that's uh that's a blessing from god that's for sure but uh exactly. last question before yeah. i let you go uh who you got in the NBA finals or in the NBA playoffs? Cause we're in the conference finals right now.
1: Are in the conference finals. So I love the series. Both series are the teams. I think they should be almost the teams that were playing the best. Uh, I do think Miami will win in the East and it's not just because they won last night. I think. So one part about this whole thing that sometimes gets underrated, undervalued is that experience of having a knock on the door. You were just talking about it with Portland. Right. And I was talking about it with bad boy pistons. Like, you have to knock on the door sometimes before you can break it down. And I think Miami going to the finals in a bubble and having most of that core back and then adding guys like Kyle Lowry. So I'm, I'm going Miami there. I think Boston's trending and they're playing great, but I think they're a little bit away. They're, they're, they're not going anywhere in my opinion, um, but I do think it's going to be a great series. And then the other one I'm biased because I lived in Dallas and I graduated high school in Dallas. So it's hard not to pick against the experience of golden state and not go Dallas. Um, uh, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Dallas just because it's home. Uh, I do think golden state's probably the most experienced and ready team to go do it again, but I'm going to go Dallas. I'm going to go against the grain and pick the home team. And then in the finals, it's a rematch of, uh, like the, 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 the D Wade, Dirk Durf- yeah, and Whiskey finals. Uh, and we'll just say, uh, we'll go those two teams. And then when I come back, we'll talk about if my pick
0: was going to be right or not. awesome well again brian thanks for joining best of luck uh with progressing your broadcasting career and uh look forward to having you on again maybe later this summer or fall leading into the college basketball season and hear your thoughts so appreciate you joining
1: yeah thanks so much man honor to be on with somebody who i respect so much as a player and now as a broadcaster and look forward to doing more man thanks so much